Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. And today we are very happy to have a special guest on our show, Simone. Very big friend of the show. You've been a guest on our show a couple times. Say hello to the people, Simone. Hey, everyone. It's so good to be back. Very, very long overdue, but I am I'm so happy to be here today. I was trying to think... It's it's literally been years, right? Since we <laughs> maybe it's like three years. Yeah, because the last episode that was recorded, I think it was like right before I was moving home from Beijing. So was that the fly? <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh gosh! Wow. Um, well, yeah. If Simone is on the show, then you know what we're doing. It it has to be a Jeff Goldblum movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a couple years, Simone. Why don't you uh, explain to all of us your undying love for Jeff Goldblum? Okay. Wow. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> we only have an hour, and we do want to talk about the movie. <laughs> so, um, my deep love for JGB, as I, I guess, apparently scribbled down on my notes, but Jeff Goldblum, um, I just think is fantastic and so weird and quirky. And yeah, I've just been a big longtime fan. And um, on my 25th birthday, I had a Jurassic Park theme birthday. And I was able to get Jeff Goldblum um, printed on my birthday cake that year. Um, and it was the picture of him like with his shirt halfway unbuttoned, kind of like lying down. Um, <laughs> and and a few years ago for the holidays, a friend had gifted me um, a Jeff Goldblum sequin pillow. So like one way when you wipe <laughs> up the sequins, it's just like a glittery pillow. And then the other side reveals his face. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a very fun conversation piece in my house. <laughs> you know, Jeff Goldblum's been with us for a while, and he's been in so many movies, but it seems like lately he's one of these guys, almost like Keanu Reeves, who's becoming a little more popular lately. Like, people suddenly think he's cooler than they used to think he was. Mm. Right? I mean, you've always thought he was cool, of course. I know that. <laughs> But he's kind of a, you know, I mean, he has his own unique way of speaking and his own, you know, way of acting. And he's a, I guess he's a handsome looking man in his own way. But, you know, he's yeah. he's been in a number of, of films from comedies to serious things to dramas. He played the devil in a movie once. And so he does have a wide range. But lately I've seen him a little grayer with his glasses on and suits doing kind of goofy commercials on TV. Yeah. And he got really into the jazz music scene. He's a really um, talented piano uh, or yeah, piano player. And um, even a chef, like he opened up a small food truck called Chef Goldblum. <laughs> 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 but I think that's because I, I don't know if it's because Disney had picked him up and he had made appearances in um, Thor Ragnarok. And then he had a, a show airing on Disney Plus. Um, and so I don't know if it's because he's starting to appeal to like a wider audience now that you just see him more. I loved him in Thor Ragnarok. I thought he was great. It's a good movie. And I, I actually thought about you this week because I saw that he uh, recently recreated that photo that you were just talking about, the, the open shirt photo. Did you see it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's still looking good at like, what, 64? 
four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed. It's taped to the ceiling above her bed right now, Craig. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we all know this. Well, the reason we brought Simone on is we do have another Jeff Goldblum movie. This week is uh, we're celebrating our second week of the Halloween season. Craig and I, as you know, if you've been listening to this show for very long, always try to do some Halloween-esque or themed movies, movies that take place in Halloween, movies that get you in the Halloween spirit during this month. And so uh, this week, I just happened to see a request from one of our listeners, Vincent, asking for Transylvania 6-5000. And I thought, oh my gosh, so I haven't seen that since it came out when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my dad took me to see it in the theater. I just remember... This was around the same time as Ghostbusters, I think, 1985. And I remember this movie getting a lot of promotion on television. There were the previews for it. And this song, the theme song for it, was kind of catchy. And that was kind of playing in my head at the time. And I guess my dad thought, I remember this specifically because it was PG-13. But he was like, "Mm, okay, I can take you. And I was pretty excited because from all the previews I had seen, Gina Davis um, has a bit of cleavage in there. And I thought, hmm, this is going to be a good movie as long as Dad doesn't reach over and try to cover my eyes up in, you know, the saucy parts. As it turns out, the only thing I remember about this movie is Gina Davis's boobs. So <laughs> I was really excited to go back because it, I did, you know, I, it, it has Frankenstein and mummies and things like that. It just seemed like a very appropriate Halloween request from Vincent. So thank you, Vincent. We're going to do we're going to talk about this movie. We're going to talk about Jeff Goldblum today. Craig, how about you? Did you have you ever seen this before? No, no, I'd never seen it before. But the box art is familiar. I, I feel like uh, it pops up on my streaming services a lot. And I don't know why I never watched it, because I do like these kind of goofy horror comedies. And the guys in it, Jeff Goldblum and Ed Bagley Jr., the main guys, I like them both. I think they're both funny uh, and talented, and I've, I've seen both of them in other movies that I really enjoyed. And so I was kind of excited that you picked it because, it, 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 and your memory is really bad because it's really only rated PG. Oh. I thought, well, I'll, I'll watch this one with my partner because it'll just be goofy and fun and we'll, you know, we'll just drink and laugh. And um, we did drink a, a lot, but we didn't laugh. i'm sure we'll be laughing a lot more in this podcast than either you or i did during this movie (laughs) oh man yeah i don't know it's it's something it is something how about you simone uh had you watched this before no this was my first time as well a jeff goldblum movie you hadn't seen before I know, I know. And like such a young, fresh Jeff Goldblum as well. So silly. Craig, very similarly, I also uh, drank uh, while watching this movie. <laughs> and I, um, my boyfriend, who's not into scary movies at all, I was like, come on, it's going to be really goofy and like silly. Let's watch it. But I unfortunately watched it alone. But it was still, you know, oh, my God, the theme song alone. Transylvania 6, uh, uh, 5,000. <laughs> I know. Transylvania 6. That's a jam. So yeah, this movie was wild from start to finish. That that theme song played on the radio. Like that is 
how heavily Are you serious? Yeah, that's how heavily this this movie was promoted. Like I I remember walking into the theater like humming that song and uh and not the Glenn Miller song uh Pennsylvania 65000 upon which the um the the title of the movie is based. That's where that weird title comes from. And they try to tie it in by saying that the address of the castle, I guess, is Transylvania 65000. Mm. It's all a little weird. As is much of this movie. In fact, the story behind the making of this movie is weird too. It's crazy because I always, I'm one of those guys who always watches the credits to the very end. And I was pretty shocked toward the end of the movie to see that the main producer of the film was the Dow Chemical Company. That's bizarre. And I went onto Wikipedia and I looked this up and saw very clearly that this whole movie was really just a way, it's basically a tax write-off. It was a way for Dow Chemical to get the money that they had made in Yugoslavia out of the country by spending it on a film production in there. So they initiated this and i guess they must have contacted uh, some some writers in hollywood the the movie is written and directed by rudy de luca and rudy de luca has his feet pretty firmly in mel brooks comedy he played in a couple mel brooks's movies before this the silent movie um high anxiety he was in robin hood men in tights and a uh, space balls a couple other movies after this as well and wrote silent movie and high anxiety as well so you would think uh, that a movie coming from this, plus a guy who was the writer of The Carol Burnett Show for 72 episodes, would uh, have a pretty solid, hilarious script on his hands. I'm sure that's what the Dow Chemical Company was thinking at the time uh, when they made the movie for $3 million to get the money out of Yugoslavia. But what we ended up with, I think it's definitely second, third, maybe even fourth tier Mel Brooks, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just disappointing. Disappointing all around. I'm just going to throw my cards on the table. I agree with you. It was disappointing because it was really easy to see what they were going for. They were going for a very, like, young Frankenstein feel, Laurel and Hardy kind of thing, and the effort was apparent. It just, for me, it fell flat. Like, the jokes didn't land. I don't know. And and, and I read that there were several scenes in the movie where the actors were just told to improvise. That was so obvious. <laughs> and also improvise blocking. And it it looks like it. You know, it yeah. looks like they were just making it up as, as they went along. And it looks like they maybe could have used a few more shots. Like, <laughs> mm, Yeah. Um, there's, there's one scene in particular with Carol Kane and the guy that she plays opposite of. John Biner, I think. Yeah. And they're both very funny people on their own. And they play the servants in this household, and they the scene where he's introduced first, he's like the butler, like the hunchback butler, and she's his goofy hunchback wife. And they're both so funny, and I was so, I had read before I saw it that they were going to be improvising this, and then I watched it, and I just thought, gosh, these people are both so talented, it almost felt like a waste, like... I love Carol Kane. I think Carol Kane is hilarious. Mm. And she was doing everything she could do, I suppose. It just felt like an improv game, like a college improv game. And I don't know. I just wasn't all that impressed. <laughs> One thing that I wrote down in my notes, because I, I did I went into this totally blind. I did not put in any research at all. Um and I looked up some stuff afterwards but i mean for sure right off the bat i was like this is very mel brooksy okay da, 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 da. and then when carol kane 
came on, what I put down was their relationship is like me and Kevin in quarantine, where she was like, let me help you with that. There's a spot right there. There's a spot right there. Yeah, I'm a teacher. And so over the summer when I wasn't working and Kevin was working from home, I would be like constantly coming in the room like, do you need anything? Can I get anything for you? And he was just like, after a while, like, please give me some space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how many times Alan said to me, "Uh, I'm working. (laughs) This is my designated work time. I realize we're in the same We all kind of had to do that. Yeah, and that couple, actually, I thought more or less they were a highlight of the movie. And when I say that, I it's a very low bar to be a highlight of the movie. So I'm not saying I was particularly wowed by their performance, but I think what I am saying is that their performances, I think they were better than most of the others. Because Carol Kane's got her shtick, right? I mean, she's, yeah. she's full on, you know, herself. Uh, some of you might remember her, uh, from the Princess Bride, she's uh, Miracle Max's wife. She was the mom in License to Drive. I loved that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Recently, she was in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh yeah, yeah. She was the landlady. Funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she does the same kind of thing, right? She has these kind of crazy. Oh, in Scrooge, she was the ghost yeah. of Christmas Present. Uh, you know where she's constantly whacking him over the head. She's in Jill versus the volcano. She has this thing that she does really, really well, and it was really welcome in this movie, and it fit her character, and it was great against her husband John Boyner. And John Boyner himself is like a master of of doing impressions, dialects, and things. Uh, he he's really good at that, and he's he's mostly done a lot of voice acting, quite honestly. And I think he holds his own, but like you said, particularly when you talk about this particular scene, is kind of a window into how the whole movie felt for me. And that is, they didn't know what to do with the camera. They had the camera sitting there in just a really long shot following these people around. So it's kind of boring. Like like the cinematography is kind of flat and boring. And then these people are going on and on and on for almost, God, that's got to be what, at least five minutes? Maybe it was longer? long. Maybe it long. It was uncomfortably long. Yeah, it's an uncomfortably long scene where it just, you can tell it's not tight. Mm-hmm. It kind of meanders, and they're painfully and obviously right in front of our faces searching for things to do. And they're finding things to do. And they never break character. But Mm-mm. one long take of watching people improvise, it just doesn't come across as clever as, for example, um, most of your Mel Brooks movies are. And it's just, it's a shtick that, you know, doesn't really do much to advance plot or anything, which is fine. I mean, it's a goofy movie. It's a comedy with a simple plot, which we'll talk about very soon. But, you know, I felt the same way about them as I felt about Michael Richards in this movie. Michael Richards, who everybody knows as Kramer from Seinfeld. This is before that. Uh, He's pretty young in this movie. But he just does his Kramer shtick through the whole movie, which... To be fair, that kind of physical comedy is is not easy, and he's really good at it. But it just seemed like that was the only purpose of his character, was just to bumble around and, and fall down a lot and be weird. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, he basically disappears after about two-thirds of the movie, and you don't see him again. It, it's all shtick for the sake of shtick, right? Like you right. said, these scenes where we see these people doing these madcap things don't really advance the plot, like you said, doesn't really give us any insight, and doesn't even necessarily even to seem to fit into the movie. It's just like, oh, wait, now let's watch these guys be funny for a while, 
and then we'll come back to the movie. Yeah. And, and there was so much of that in this movie that it, it just gets old after a while. And it's it's not as funny to watch. It just isn't. Yeah. It drags on a, a lot. Uh, it's good, huh? It's good, huh? <laughs> like, I feel like that was his main line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's constantly trying to impress people. I don't know. Well, and come on. Some of it's really lame, too. I mean, there's one point where he comes out and stops one of the characters, Ed, Be- Ed Begley Jr.'s character, uh, Gil, with a banana peel. And he's like, hey, stay right there. And just watch this, watch this. And he puts a banana peel on the ground. He walks and pretends to slip and fall. Well, does slip and fall on the banana peel. And then he's like, now you do it. Now you do it. No, 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 really, you do it. And then he literally just chases him around trying to get him to slip on a banana peel. And that's the <laughs> right. scene. I mean, how dumb is this? <laughs> I, I did chuckle a little bit at the scene where he kept getting body parts stuck in the door. That was kind of, <laughs> that was hilarious actually. <laughs> that, that was maybe one part where I did chuckle a little bit, but we should get to what the premise of the movie is. It, it's silly. It starts out with this um, video. It looks almost like found footage of these people exploring what I guess is supposed to be the out, side of a castle and it's really brief like they literally just kind of walk up to a door and the guy on camera that was michael mckeon wasn't it i'm i don't think that he's listed in in the cast list but i'm pretty sure it was michael mckeon did a lot of the um oh i can't think of the guy's real name but the the, like waiting for guffman a mighty wind best in show all those movies And I'm pretty sure that was him. I'm not sure if he's credited. But anyway, it doesn't matter. He stands in front of this door, and these arms burst through the door and, like, grab him and and carry him away. And it's supposed to be, like, a Frankenstein sighting. And the people watching this video are Jeff Goldblum, who plays a guy named Jack, and Ed Begley Jr., who plays a guy named Gil. And it just occurred to me today that their names are Jack and Gil. Like, (laughs) that's pretty funny. But uh, they work uh, for, like, this tabloid that is run by Gil's dad. And he tasks them with going to Transylvania to try to do a story on this Frankenstein deal. He wants a big headline. And Jack, Jeff Goldblum, is very skeptical, doesn't want to do it. But basically the guy says, if you don't, you're both fired. And Gil's like, well, you can't fire me. I'm your son. He's like, well, yeah, I can. And I'm going. I can't believe we're talking about this again. I didn't want to have this conversation one more time. That story on labor exploitation and the hemp plant, oh. the one you headlined women forced to work in rape factory when that was a rope factory. That was a typo. A typo. Besides, rape is a grabber. That's right. It is a big grabber. Look, didn't you hire me to raise the journalistic level of this paper? Wrong. I hired you to raise the vocabulary level of this paper. I want to keep the journalistic level very low. Why do you think I teamed up with him? Hey, so <laughs> they they have to go, and they do. And you know, as soon as they get there, hijinks ensue. Um, I thought it was cute. You know, the second they get there, Jack Goldblum gets his head turned by this woman named Elizabeth, played by Teresa Gansel, who I recognized but couldn't place for a second, so I looked her up, and she was the ditzy wife of the rich guy in the toy. Mm. Um, And she was really funny in that, and she's cute in this movie, too. Then he, like, pursues her throughout the movie, and they start doing their investigations, um, and it doesn't take very long before weird stuff starts to happen, I guess. You know, they right away pretty... There's a, a goofy scene. Well, first of all, they meet the mayor who's played by Jeffrey Jones of Ferris Bueller fame. 
uh, and many other things, and now, sadly, kind of notorious because he got himself into some trouble uh, with some bad stuff. But uh, they meet him. He's kind of funny. And then Gil asks the like mate or the concierge at the hotel that they stop at about Frankenstein and the whole town just laughs at them and gives them you know all this crap about being stupid Americans who think Transylvania is full of monsters and whatnot but then they end up going to the castle and hijinks and you know that's kind of it (laughs) (laughs) hijinks that's it. Thank you for playing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Simone, for joining us. It was. I <laughs> wish we could have talked about Jeff Goldblum more, but uh, uh, what, what more is there to say about this movie? Well, they, they go up to the castle, and so there's a big castle in town, and th- there's a lot of this goofiness with the modern and the old, right? So, of course, this is Transylvania, and they have a big castle there, and as far as I know, Transylvania was where Dracula was supposed to be, right? So it's kind of funny that we don't see anything related to... I mean, we see a vampire in here, but not Dracula. The idea is Frankenstein. Now, was Frankenstein from Transylvania, too? I don't remember. I don't know. Mary Shelley was British, wasn't she? I don't rem- I don't know. I mean, Frankenstein? Anyway. Anyway, so they go up to the castle, and uh, as you had said earlier, um, they, they have this bellhop guy about the grounds, uh, who's played by uh, Michael Richards, and uh, he's just goofy. He answers the door with a little puppet and does his oh, shtick. That was wild. It was kind of funny. I thought it was funny <laughs> it was in the beginning. Funny little puppet. Yeah. Wasn't it like a baby? Like a baby with a mustache or something? It was weird. Yeah. Well, it's a complete non sequitur and that made it really funny there at the beginning. It's just, there's no right. reason for it. But then you realize that his whole thing, his this character's thing throughout the movie is He's trying to make things funny because this castle, they're trying to turn into a resort to capitalize on the popularity of Transylvania being notorious for having monsters, even though, again, the mayor and everybody say there aren't any monsters. And then there's that goofy thing where as soon as they walk inside, the mayor that they saw when they got off the bus just, you know, an hour or so later happens to also be up there at the castle greeting them. And it turns out he's the owner of that resort as well. Trying to make it a Disney world, right? Of uh... Yeah, he said he's like, we're theming it like Disneyland. And I think he calls the caretaker, Michael's character, as like the token brute. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know if like a brute is supposed to mean like a, a more simple person or what. But yeah, that's that's kind of the the thing he was going for and it's funny they it's it's like everything is gimmicky like they serve their drinks out of beakers and <laughs> um like it's all supposed to be like mad scientist kind of thing i on paper it sounds really fun and cute it, it just that's kind of it like it's supposed to be like this theme park, amusement park or whatever, but really kind of the goofy serving of the food is is kind of the only themed thing aside from that it's in a castle. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's in the early days. Maybe they're still going to be ramping it up a little bit. But are doing market research, um, I guess. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's right here at a tiny little table in front of them. You know, it's not I mean, it's the very beginnings of this poor little place trying to do something, I guess, if you're going to be generous about it. 
so they're there, and I guess these guys get rooms there. Michael Richards comes in and does more shtick with them at the table, which totally feels like improv and probably was. Gil goes down to check out the chapel, which is where that that video was originally filmed, where the monster had attacked those guys in the woods. And he just walks in there, wanders around an empty room. A chandelier almost swings into him. And then he bumps into a mysterious stranger who pops in through the door and is like, what are you doing here? I'm Inspector Perchik. A better question is, what are you doing here? I heard they were having a novena. Novena? Isn't this Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow? No. <laughs> I must be in the wrong church. Excuse me. There's that. Right, right, right. So, like, who is is the mysterious inspector, and why does the mysterious inspector want to keep them away from the church? And um, then as he's walking away, he walks by this old gypsy woman who kind of, like, gives him a sign or something, and so he goes in and talks to her, and she says, there is a monster, and he's like, Frankenstein? And she's like, no, a werewolf. And (laughs) his name is Lawrence Malbit. Then she's like... He's my son, and you must destroy him. Uh, <laughs> so they, so they like go to this, I guess, to the address that the gypsy gave him. The both of them, Jack and Gil, go, and they're just like standing right outside behind this tiny tree. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, very conspicuous. Yeah, in their like suits. Yeah, um, and, and- I was like. Two men in business suits just casually strolling through <laughs> And this guy, this old guy, comes out and, like, he looks up at the moon, which Gil thinks is a sign that he must be a werewolf. And they start following him, and he starts shedding his clothes. And they lose him for a second, and then they end up in this kind of clearing. They hear these, like, grunting and growling noises, and they look over and they see, see these bushes shaking. So they think that he must be transforming in these bushes. Um, so they go and they move the bushes aside. And it's not a werewolf. It's just that old guy banging some, like, wench. (laughs) (laughs) That was the director of the movie, I think. He had set it up so that the shot when they opened the bushes would just be his bare ass, uh, (laughs) like looking right up at them. But I guess to keep the rating low, they ended up cutting that part, which I wish they wouldn't have because that would have been funny. (laughs) You know, werewolf full moon. Get it? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> oh, man. All right, I'm done. Go well, ahead. <laughs> I mean, so then we're done with that little shtick. And then uh, they go back and uh, go back to sleep in their respective rooms in the castle. Gil wakes up in the middle of the night and looks over and thinks he sees a woman standing in the window of his bedroom. But when he rubs his eyes and looks back, she's not there. Uh, And then he goes back to sleep, and we see the woman is back there. She's holding a cape over her face, and uh, he wakes up, he looks back over again, and and she's not there. Uh, And then eventually he wakes up, and she's right there next to him, pretty much breathing down his neck, and he screams, and he jumps up, and then she's gone. And he pulls in Jack, and is like, hey, there was a a woman in here, I saw her, she's like a vampire or something like that. Uh, and he says, no, I, I don't know who you're talking about. It's Gina Davis. Gina Davis's character in this movie is like a female vampire character. And she's got a nice dress on. Once again, the only thing I ever remembered from this movie as a 
nine-year-old boy, eight-year-old boy. Um, nice rack. Very well. Yeah. Done. It's it's very Elvira or Vampira, um, and she's very young and stunningly beautiful. Like, everybody in this movie is like eight feet tall, <laughs> including her. And, you know, this dress is cut down, I think, all the way, like, to her navel. And she looks really good. I think uh, she and Jeff Goldblum worked on three movies together and, and were lovers for a while um but i think this was the first time they had worked together and i think that goldblum recommended her i'm I'm not sure how they knew each other at that point but this start you know they did this then they did the fly they did earth girls are easy i don't think they have a single scene together in this movie which is unfortunate because they have really good chemistry but uh anyway she looks great and it's it's cool to see her as it is cool to see goldblum and ed begley jr earlier in their careers when they were still young not that any of them look bad today they all look great today but uh, uh it's just kind of a little glimpse into the past yeah yeah when they were like kind of young and just figuring it out as as these new actors stepping on the screen and man and too like what i thought was interesting and i know um the uh, as i called her hot mom elizabeth um her character although is small plays an important part by the end of it there's that other subplot where Jeff Goldblum or Jack goes on you know he's trying to like get with Elizabeth as you mentioned earlier Craig like two minutes in just fresh off the bus flirting his little heart out and they go end up going on this date and try and start a relationship it's that that part was interesting yeah it's it's because he's uh, in my notes i have he's gold blooming on elizabeth like he's totally <laughs> laying on the gold bloom charm with her um but at this point you know she's playing it very coy and and she's got this daughter and as soon as they, they like they go on like a little i don't know if it's a picnic but they just go and sit kind of in this clearing in the woods during the daytime and they immediately ignore the daughter who just makes a beeline to the forest. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point, Gil comes and is like, I don't know if he knew the daughter was gone or he knew Frankenstein was around or something, but they realize that the daughter is gone and Goldblum's like, what happened? And I said out loud to the TV, uh, you weren't paying any attention to her as you ran into the woods. Like, what did you think was going to (laughs) happen? But she does run into what appears to be Frankenstein in the woods. And this, I I liked this scene for the literary illusion because, and and I don't even know if it is, it's been, I've only read Frankenstein once in high school. So it's been so long, but in the classic film version, there's a great scene with the monster and a little girl who's blind. And so isn't scared of him. And they have this really sweet moment and to, it, it, I've talked about this before on the show, but the, they're like throwing flowers and flower petals into the river. And when they're they, when they run out of flowers to throw in the river, the monster, I, I don't think maliciously, I think just playfully picks up the little girl and throws her in the river and she dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so hilarious, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that so there's that there's a similar scene in Monster Squad with Phoebe and the monster, and there's that this one too. And so uh, I liked it. It was cute. I, I thought it was a nice little throwback to that original movie. But we don't know what's going on. We just see them encounter one another, and then that's kind of it. Before that, they had also gone to visit a sanatorium, and this scene was so stupid. <sighs> so stupid that it was so close to funny. I mean, when they're approaching the sanatorium, they're like walking behind this waist level wall. And anytime anybody looks in their direction, they just like pop down below the wall. Again, (laughs) these guys are each like six, three. And so they are not inconspicuous at all. And so it just looks so silly for them to keep popping up and down behind this tiny wall. And then they they look in and, and see, I don't know, they think something weird is going on or whatever, and it's all behind this big wall, and the guards won't let them in. But there's a great shtick where <laughs> Goldblum keeps telling Gil to jump over the wall, and then as soon as he does, he alerts the guards. Like, <laughs> he, he tells him to start climbing in, and he does, and then Goldblum, just standing there by himself on the outside of the fence, is like... Uh, patient escaping, patient escaping. And so they run over and grab him because they think that he's trying to get out, not in. And then he looks around in there for a little while. And then when he's trying to get out, um, Goldblum shouts, somebody's trying to get in, somebody trying to get in. So they grab him and throw him back over the outside. So dumb, but I have to admit, I at least smiled because it was so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's some of that Jeff Goldblum smarts going on there. You know, the real intelligent, (laughs) out-of-the-box Jeff Goldblum thinking. Right, Simone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, when he's at the sanatorium, he encounters a doctor there. And this doctor has supposedly, through some weird research that he did earlier, some he goes to the library and then, like... It's like what there's a scene earlier where Goldblum's character asks um, Ed Begley Jr.'s character, Jack asks Gil, what did you find? And he's like, oh, I didn't really find much of anything, except apparently this there's this doctor working at the sanatorium whose license has been revoked. And so, oh, that's mysterious. So that's kind of their whole reason for being there. He gets in there and he peeks in the window. At the same time, the mayor and that inspector are visiting the doctor and they're asking him for the records, and the doctor's pulling out records, and the doctor's, it seems like a lot of his patients are actually being recorded as dead, and they're like, that's unusual. I, all of this was just kind of really tenuous stuff, um, how all this kind of fit together and the motivations of these characters to be investigating each other, whatever. Am I on the, the right page here? I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, this And this doctor's supposed to be like a total play off of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Like just the, the, like how he would be very calm and then he would get all anxious and crazy and like want to go after you and later. Yeah. Yeah. But it's dependent on space, which I thought was funny. Like the second he steps into his lab, he turns into crazy mad doctor and he signals that by intentionally messing up his hair to make him look like a crazy <laughs> mad doctor. And then slicking it back when he gets... Yeah, the second he steps out, he slicks it back and he's normal again. I don't know. I mean, as far as shtick goes, it's pretty funny and, and uh, the actor does do a good job of a, a, a clear distinction between the two characters. So that was kind of funny. Going back to when the girl is lost in the forest, they go in there and look for her, 
and I don't remember if they see them or not. This is where my notes, my handwriting is getting a little bit bad because I had been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a little fuzzy. There's also a moment where Gil like steps into a marshy, swampy area, and an arm reaches up and grabs his balls. Yeah, <laughs> and, then he, and then he runs away. And so, like, there's a swamp creature, and then Goldblum gets attacked by a werewolf. But I guess he gets away. As it turns out, like. There are all these monsters, and they're all somehow connected to this doctor. And eventually, we all we see them all converge there. Um, and it's unclear what's going on. I don't know. The woodwork, and um, I would just like to also take this moment to give my beautiful chef's Italian kiss to one of the most best cinematic screams of all time when (laughs) when Jeff Goldblum gets attacked in the forest and it's just, ah! (laughs) 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 You do you. You do you. No one's fooling you, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, man. We end up back at the lab, right? Where the lab is is underneath the castle. It's like in the dried out moat bank underneath the bridge of the castle. And uh, that is where... And, and, and everybody knows about it, I guess, except for the mayor and, and the inspector and the people who are visiting because even that couple... Yeah, the hunchback couple. The right? hunchback couple oh, yeah. are there. And they're apparently the doctor's minions... I guess. I guess. Like, like, like his Igor, right? Um, and Gina Davis is chained up in there, which I still am not sure I understand why she was chained up in there. Well, I don't even understand why she was there at all in, in retrospect. Yeah, I don't really either. As it turns out, and I may be skipping things, but this is all I can remember. As it turns out, like through investigation, they, the guys, the, the reporters, figure out that actually the bad guys are the mayor and the inspector. And what they're doing is they're taking all of these undesirables and locking them up in this sanatorium. And even though it appears like it, it like the, the Dr. Frankenstein guy, whatever his name is, it, like he's got, you know, all of these creatures and it appears that maybe he's responsible for making them that way like he's got a mummy in there as it turns out these are all these undesirables that the uh mayor has tried to get rid of by putting him in the sanatorium and the doctor is actually trying to help them but the townspeople don't know that and so when frankenstein they're they're all searching well for they're supposed to be searching for this missing girl but there's actually there's also a wine festival going on and so everybody's kind of distracted by that and the girl's mom is ticked off and you know marches into the wine festival to demand to know why they aren't looking for her daughter but then we see Frankenstein carrying the daughter towards town and she's perfectly fine and in fact she's really tired so he just tells her to go to sleep which she does but uh when he's walking into town she's dangling there in his arms asleep and so they all think that she's dead and he approaches um and he lays her down and the mom approaches and the girl wakes up and so you know everybody knows the girl's fine but they still because 
this guy is monstrous. They attack him and grab him and tie him up on like a pyre and they're going to burn him until the reporters and the doctor and all of the freaks show up to clear everything up. And there's a whole big explanation scene of what's going on. <laughs> so silly, but very 80s. Um, yeah, where, where suddenly the, the villain is revealed, the Scooby-Doo moment. <laughs> they have a hard time convincing the townspeople and there is it's so I, I hesitate to say funny because that may be kind of a stretch but a silly moment where Jeff Goldblum is trying to convince the crowd the angry mob um, not to burn this guy who as it turns out was just a guy who was like in a terrible accident or something and was totally dismembered and disfigured and the doctor's put him back together but uh he's trying to rile up the crowd meanwhile gills in the crowd like running around popping up in different parts of the crowd like, yeah listen to him and like gr- snatching off women's wigs and putting them on yeah what he said listen listen like <laughs> it's so dumb it's dumb and funny shtick that you, honestly if you had seen it in a mel brooks movie it would have been executed better yeah here it just looked sloppy right it was like i don't know if it's the way it was shot or the reactions of everybody else, but it, it just was didn't seem as sophisticated <laughs> right. as this unsophisticated humor can be. <laughs> this man is Kurt Hunyad. After a car accident, his body was mangled and he was partially paralyzed. But some people here in your town couldn't stand the sight of him. So they had him transferred from intensive care to your phony rest home. Where I performed reconstructive surgery. Yes, with wire and pipes and nuts and bolts. But what can I do? They take the money that the government gives them to fix him up and they put it in his pocket. And the mummy they that, that we've seen a little bit on and off in this turns out to be a woman who was in an accident, needed plastic surgery. I don't think she was even in an accident. I think she... I think she was just really ugly. <laughs> That's right. She was just really ugly, and they didn't want to look at her, so they put her away. That's right. Um, and, and she was she was wrapped in all of these bandages. He's like, I had to keep her wrapped up so that she could heal, but now she's ready. And he unwraps her, and she's this buxom, like, Amazon. And she, like, looks at her boobs, and it's like... Zonkers! I never counted on the Zonkers! like what 12 year old wrote this film (laughs) yeah and the werewolf was just born with a genetic disorder or something and they were they were working on a cure and he reveals his chest is all barren he goes i can go to the beach now (laughs) (laughs) they all have these revelations of reveal and so funny. Yeah, and, so the, so and the doctor and mayor have basically been siphoning off the money that's supposed to go for the treatment of these people, uh, you know, and putting it in their own pockets. So it's been up to the doctor to, miss, you know, to secretly, I guess now in retrospect that we're talking it all out, he was sort of faking their deaths for the mayor and inspector's purpose, but taking them back to his lab, chaining them up and putting them in cages 
as he <laughs> experimented and worked on them. It's all kind of messed up when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but then, you know, it's the classic 80s end where, oh, it was all just a big misunderstanding. And the hunchback couple, it's revealed that they have a son who's also a hunchback. But eventually, don't they just all just kind of stand up straight? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stand up straight, son. Okay. And they do. <laughs> and there's a little moment where Gil and the werewolf lady, Gina Davis, are sitting in a... Uh, like a carriage and they go to start to kiss Gil's like but first take these out and he reaches in her mouth and pulls out her fangs and they're just like fake Halloween fangs and he's like you don't have to pretend anymore and she's like oh but I I want to because it makes me sexy or something and he's like you're sexy on your own without this and she's like no I'm hideous like what (laughs) (laughs) far from it and then she She's like, look at my nose. And he does, and he's like, uh. but then Frankenstein, or the, the Frankenstein guy, like, taps him on the shoulder. He's like, I'll give her a nose job. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what did he say? I gave her a nose job. I'm not sure. May- I don't know. I was drunk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all is fine and good. And that's the end of the movie. And they actually have, have a dance, dance party. party. Yeah. <laughs> Literally have a dance party. Where we, where we get, you know, all these, uh, uh, tabloid style photos of all of these different monsters having a great time dancing but as it turns out you know it works out for everybody because Jack and Gil get their story in fact they get a whole bunch of stories they get a werewolf they get a mummy they get Frankenstein they get a swamp creature and so you know we see all of these great headlines I don't remember what any of them are I didn't write them down but they're pretty funny yeah. Um, if they were anyone, any similar to the ones that we saw in the beginning, like, are aliens using your body for sex while you sleep? Or, <laughs> I for a week and liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I think one of them was Vampire Sucks Transylvania Dry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. God. But it was, I don't know, it was kind of funny. And then that's just it, you know, like it, I, I feel like it ends there. And it's goofy and silly, and it it feels like it was trying to go for a Monster Mash-type vibe. Maybe, you know, I think maybe if I were a kid, this yeah. might have been funny. Like, a, a young kid. And maybe if I had seen it when I was a kid, there would be that nostalgia factor. Um, but I didn't. I'm seeing it as a 40-something, and uh, it, just didn't, it just didn't read. In fact... As we were watching it, I said to my partner several times, we can turn this off. I I can finish it myself. And he was like, no, it's fine. Just let's just watch it. Um, So we did finish it, but uh, it was kind of it was kind of a struggle to get through. Well, nobody liked this movie when it came out. Nobody. It was it was very critically panned. It's got an 18 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Leonard Maltin did uh, the shortest uh, and one of his most notorious notorious reviews he's ever done, where uh, on Entertainment Tonight, he simply played the Pennsylvania 6-5000 and sang along with it, and then after the Pennsylvania 6-5000 said, sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he said stunk, I think is maybe what he said on Entertainment Tonight. But yeah, that was it, a one-word review, so... uh, that he was very proud of moving forward. Mm, <laughs> it was like one of his favorite reviews that he'd ever given. But I have to agree with him. And I have to wonder, this 
this didn't seem like a labor of love for anybody. Mm. It felt like they, the, the, the makers of the movie, the, the producers, they just had to spend this money or they were going to lose it. And so it's, it just feels like they threw something together and it just doesn't, there's, there's, I don't feel any passion behind it. I don't feel, it just seems like they just kind of went through the movie, the motions to make a movie. Like, let's just, we, we got to spend the money. Let's just make a movie. And so they did. And that's how it turned out, I guess. Well, they made a little over $7 million off of a $3 million budget. And I guess they got their money out of Yugoslavia. Sure. So it must have worked out for the Dow Chemical Company. But you don't see them turning into major film producers after this. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Simone? What did you think? What are your final thoughts? Um, <laughs> it was very silly and like. I just think or it just it perfectly shows a very funny, silly 1985 horror comedy love story. Um, I think if anything that we can take out of this, especially is that um, October is also known as 31 days of gold bloom because Jeff Goldblum's birthday is on the 22nd of this month. Nice. um, I think that watching this film this month during his birthday month is, uh, is, was, was very appropriate and fun. Yeah. And it is, it's for the Halloween season, you know, I, I completely understood why you picked it, you know, to have all of these different monsters, familiar monsters, like the Universal Monsters, in one movie. On paper, it sounds great, and it makes perfect sense why you would choose it for October. Um, I just, I honestly wish it had been better. I wanted to like it. I wanted it to be good, uh, it, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly. Well, thank you anyway, Vincent, for giving us a good Halloween movie to review, for giving Simone another excuse to come on our show and and talk about Jeff Goldblum. What a treat. Thank you so much. And thank you, Simone, for coming on our show again and chatting about Jeff Goldblum and the movie. We really enjoyed uh, having you on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and for the rest of you, you can find us online, Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Just search for us. And uh, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Give us some requests. So what any movies you'd like us to do during this Halloween season. And we've got other holidays coming up. Uh, we love to hear those and honor those. Thank you again, Vincent, for this one as well this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.